something good about finding a really good deal. We call that bang for your buck. Right. And I learned that early from my father. Like I would have never wore a pair of Nikes had there never been a sale. My dad would have never bought me a pair of Nikes uh, unless they were significantly marked down. And so I learned the, the, the idea of bang for your buck. Our industries, our culture really operates that way. We as a people are really looking for that thing that we want most for the lowest possible cost to ourselves. That's kind of how we operate. Leaders in the industry know this too. They spend thousands, millions of dollars on marketing trying to get us, the consumer, to believe that a product that we are looking for is more valuable than the cost we're about to pay. And if they can succeed at doing that, if they can think that we are getting the most bang for our buck, then we're hooked. And they're most likely gonna become the market leader. And if we're honest, if we can be a little honest with ourselves, the church has somewhat participated in making religion and spirituality a commodity to be bought into at the lowest possible price. Uh, it is a very sad thing. We have taken Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and the kingdom of God, and we have tried to package it in a low-cost, high-reward uh, way. But Jesus, however, as we have just heard from the reading of the gospel today, he sees it in com a completely different way. And this text that we have today is a difficult one. Uh, it could be, Randy swears that he didn't plan this, but he gave this text to the intern uh, to get him to say, get me to say, how you might need to shun your family, hate your mom or your dad or husbands, um, turn your backs on your wives, wives hate your children, it's a difficult text. A lot of times we don't know what to do when we come to this text. Uh, I, I think I believe Randy when he says he didn't do it on purpose, but nevertheless, here I am telling you, uh, going to try to teach us what the, what the Lord wants us to hear from this scripture today. Entering the kingdom of God, uh, getting the forgiveness of our sins didn't cost us much. Actually, it didn't cost us anything. It merely asked, it merely cost us a submission to God's will for our lives, asking for forgiveness. It didn't cost us much, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a price paid. Surely the highest price was paid. God paid the price of his son. Son paid the price of his life. We know that Christ bore our sin, our shame, as he endured death on the cross, so that we might become children of God through the forgiveness of our sins. This is the gospel. The, the ultimate price, the debt that was owed, couldn't be paid by us. Our, our bank accounts were insufficient. And so Christ bore all of that price. He paid it, 
And that's the gospel. But even though we have been given grace through the forgiveness of our sins, discipleship is a parallel, yet another idea. It didn't cost us much for the forgiveness of our sins, but entering a discipleship, as we read in the gospel text today, surely comes at a high cost to us. I don't mean that we pay dues to some country club to enjoy the benefits that they might give us, or that we would uh, pay a high tuition for a great education at a prestigious college. The price for discipleship to God, to, to Jesus, is even higher than that. He asks for all that we have. And the, the refrain that I want to walk us through in this message today, through this text, is that it is the highest cost for the highest reward. It's no longer low cost. We cannot think that it's low cost, high reward, like our culture wants. But it is the highest cost for the highest reward. The section of the gospel that we lean in today is one that pushes back against our natural sensibilities. We who know God, we who know the Son, first understand him as the God of love, the God of peace, not, not a God of division or discord. We, we wouldn't lead off any evangelism uh, mission like that. We wouldn't show up, knock on somebody's door and say, can I tell you about Jesus? He's going to ruin your family. <laughs> we don't do that. We, we really do lead with God is love. The, the market leaders would agree with that. That is a great entryway into discipleship and faith in Christ. But here we have this very strange call to hate our family. Luke said it before, earlier in the gospel at chapter 12. He, he tells us that he, do you, he says, do you think I have come to bring peace? He says, no, not peace, but division. For a mother and a father, or a mother and a daughter will be divided. A son and a father will be divided. Even out into the extended family, they will be divided. And here we have it all over again. Here's Jesus, the Prince of Peace, asking us to hate those that we would normally and naturally be called to love. Something else has to be at play here when we hear Jesus asking us to hate our family members. So when we get into this text, it's set up uh, in a certain way. We have two statements about discipleship. Jesus will make two claims about what it actually takes to be a disciple of his. And then he gives two parables, teaching us a particular lesson about how we are to look at ourselves in light of our situation in the world. And then finally, we end with a very clear, very concise statement again, about what it takes to become a disciple of Jesus. So getting into our text, we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna see exactly what Christ is calling us to do. What is the highest cost for the highest reward? In verse 26, Jesus says, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This, this statement of hate uh, is one that really we struggle with. In Psalm 57.10, we get a good idea of what God might say when we hate something. He says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. Now that we can understand. Hating evil, it should be on any sane person's mind. We should all hate evil and all of the bad things that might happen in this world. We should detest it. We should really hate it. But certainly Christ couldn't mean that we should hate our wife as though we would hate evil or hate our children as though we would hate evil. So what is Christ really getting at? What is the context of the New Testament and this word for hate? It doesn't show like we would see hate as ill will towards a person or that we would um, detest something that somebody had done to us. The word hate translated for us in this text and at other places in this scripture deal with two contrasting levels of affections when two or more things are vying for allegiance. So there's going to be different things at play. And we can get a good understanding of this by looking at one particular story, a very strange story in the Old Testament. In Genesis 29, we have the epic story of Jacob's quest to find love. He uh, sees Rachel and he is smitten by her and he really wants to marry her. So he decides to, or he agrees, he decides and agrees to work for seven years in order to marry Rachel. But Rachel's father, Laban, he has a problem with this because his first daughter has not yet been married. And that's not good. You can't marry off your second daughter if your first daughter is, is still without a husband. That kind of shames that first daughter. And so Laban uh, comes up with a plan and he decides to double cross Jacob by somehow, we're probably all puzzled by this, switches Leah in for Rachel they consummate the marriage. And then in the morning time, it says that Jacob woke up and was like, oh my gosh, what has happened? He was duped into marrying somebody he did not want to marry. But love knows no bounds, right? And so he decides again to agree to another seven years of labor in order to marry the one that he actually wanted He works the seven years. He finally marries Rachel. But the tone has been set for this family. Right? It, it's difficult to believe that Leah, the one who got in there um, by deception, could be preferred over the one that he wanted in the first place. And so now you have this family unit. You have Jacob and Leah, his first wife, by seven years, and then Rachel, and they're married. And then the story goes on that there's just a lot of back and forth, 
These two women really do not like each other whatsoever. Uh, they have difficult times having babies, and they need God to open their womb, and they're asking and praying, and all of this is going on. So there's this really crazy dynamic in this family. All the while, Jacob's culture, the culture that they are living in, says it kind of allows for multiple wives for a man. And that's for the purpose of protecting the woman. In that day, women couldn't really get along in society if they weren't attached to a man, if they weren't married. They weren't able to provide for themselves. They would kind of be disgraced and shunned. Hated. So that's what we're getting at when Jesus asks us to hate our father and mother. He's asking us to recognize that relationships that are closest to us, our father, our mother, our, even our wives, our children, are all vying for some place in our heart. They're vying for our affection. But Christ will say that he is to have the highest preference. He is to hold the greatest place. No other thing can come into the heart to take away what is rightfully Christ's should we decide to be disciples. This is why he says, if you do not do this, you cannot be a disciple of mine. There is only one place for Christ, and that is at the highest throne the highest throne of the universe, the highest throne of all of his creation, the highest throne in each one of his children's hearts. This is what he's getting at when he asks us to hate our mother and father. Within that first one, too, he, he says that we are to also hate our own life. And to get into hating our own life we can walk into the next statement of discipleship where Jesus says, he, he brings up the idea of the cross again and that anyone who would come after him should bear his cross and follow him. The burden that Christ carried when he carried his Christ, when he carried his cross, was the, the weight of the sin of the world. He gave his life the highest price for our sake. Rightfully, in turn, he asks us to carry a cross in the same manner to give our own life for his sake. And so, in bearing our cross, 
walking daily, as he said, Luke, said, Luke had Jesus saying in chapter 9 is where we get this first idea of Jesus bearing the cross. He says the same thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To bear one's cross and follow Christ is the way that we say, or is the way that we show, not merely say, that we are hating our own life, that we would prefer Christ and his kingdom and his way, his rule, even over our own will, even over our own comfort. The point of these two statements of discipleship are the same, and they build off of one another. To follow Christ, we must prefer him over all else. This is the cost. This is the highest cost that I've been referring to. Nothing can compete for our loyalties, our affections. Christ demands both of them. He demands the highest cost for the highest reward that he is planning to give. So in chapter 9 and verse 24, Jesus gives his very hard-to-understand saying as, whoever would save his own life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. We come back into our two parables for today. We can really get a good understanding of what this difficult saying is teaching. Both of our stories today deal with a person who wisely considers whether or not they have the appropriate resources to accomplish a task. The first parable tells of a person considering a building project, and what he must consider is whether or not he has the capital to finish what he starts. On the surface, this is great advice. We've probably said it to many people before. Don't start something that you can't finish. Consider what you have and don't be left in the middle of some kind of project. That's that's not good. It's a waste. But there's something more at stake. Should this person start this project only to learn later that he doesn't have what it takes to complete it? Jesus says that he will be embarrassed. He will be ridiculed in front of all of the people His attempt to build with what he possesses will end in loss and shame. And the second parable extends this lesson by telling of a king who must contemplate whether or not to go out to war to another king that is coming upon him. And now he needs to assess his resources. He looks at his army of 10,000 people, and then he looks at the oncoming army of 20,000 people, And he needs to decide whether or not he is going to be able to win this battle. And certainly history has proven that there have been some great armies out there who have been victorious when they are outnumbered. But the probability of victory pretty much always sides with the larger army, the the army with more manpower. And this parable assumes that there will be loss if this king goes to battle. He has 10,000 people. The other king has way more, double the amount. 
And so the parable assumes this and it suggests the way out. It says, go send a delegation and ask for terms of peace or else this will end badly for you. And both of these parables, the resources of both the builder and the king are assessed and they're found wanting. These two individuals do not have what it takes to get what they want with their own power, with their own resources. If they think too much of what they possess and they move forward under their own power, it will end in failure. It will end in being ridiculed and shamed and it will end in a loss of one's personal kingdom and death. And we can now see what Jesus is saying of he who tries to save his own life will indeed lose it. But he who loses it intentionally for his sake will actually save it. When we do that saying, we are assessing our own resources. We find them wanting as the gospel and the entire breadth of the scripture points out that we do not have the adequate resources to save ourselves. We do not have the capital, however much that we might be able to gain in this life, none of it will be enough to actually get what our soul requires, to actually bring us into reconciliation with God, Father, and to save our souls. Then, like Jesus does many times, he wraps it up with a saying very similar and says, if you do not give up all that you have, if you do not renounce all of your possessions, I believe this would include the relationships that he's talking about, how they're vying for our affection and our loyalties. All of the, the money and the, the possessions that we might acquire in this life, if we do not lean into them with a posture willing to give them up for Christ's sake, we are not properly assessing ourselves and our resources. So after hearing this, we know that becoming a disciple of Christ is, is not a decision to be entered in lightly. We must consider the cost. We learned from Christ that there are no deals to be found when looking into becoming a disciple. Uh, it's not like Priceline where we can negotiate uh, a, a better price. And it's not like eBay where we can uh, bid for a good auction price. The cost of discipleship is the same for every person. It is the highest price for the highest reward. Many of us have already entered into a relationship and into discipleship with Christ. We have assessed our, hopefully we have assessed our own resources and we have found ourselves to need God, need Christ fully and for everything. But it is good for us, as Peter would say, to be reminded of these things. To hear these things over and over and over again. To lead a life in our, disciples, in our devotion, in our discipleship to Christ, 
by daily bearing our cross and following him. When I was thinking about this text and knowing how difficult it is, I found myself rethinking about or reassessing my own life, seeing how there are many times where I am up and down and my devotional life seems difficult and at my, it's difficult at this time, but then it's high at this time. God doesn't love us, if we're in a relationship with him, God doesn't love us based upon the temperature of our devotion to him. That's, that's not really what we're getting into in this text. We're not without hope because we're uh, lousy humans who falter back and forth in our love for God. We are not without hope because Christ has done everything already. Even for our justification and the forgiveness of our sins, like I said, it it was no cost to us. Christ paid it all. And like in some of the songs that we sang, they were perfect. It was talking about how he sustains us even in our discipleship to him. So while Christ is talking of a very high cost to be paid for us, He doesn't leave us over here just trying to make up and pay for our way in discipleship for him. We're really always under him. But when we take a posture of love for him and hatred to the things of this world, that's when he's really taking us and guiding us. There is a deep place in our hearts that is really only for Christ. And I believe that this is what this passage is getting at. We will try to find all these resources, all these things of this world, world, and we will try to put them in that place. And it will end badly for us. This is the reason why Christ says that if you do not give up all things, you cannot be my disciple. There is one place for Christ, and that is the highest spot. I mean to give this very, you know, this is a hard text to give. And I believe that the highest cost, of, the highest cost for salvation was the life of the Son of God. And in that, he showed that the highest reward, the greatest reward, was reconciling us to the Father. When, when we hear this text, let's, let's be reminded of it, to daily chase after God, to follow him by also paying the highest cost that we can, our own life, which will yield the transformation of ourselves into the image of Christ, And so I'll say it again, let us not be scared to give all to Christ. Let's open our hearts to him. Let the Holy Spirit assess us 
Let's walk together in paying the highest price for the highest possible reward. Let's pray.